Here at Cambridge 105 Radio, we're super excited to be the media partners for this year's Velvet Food and Drink Awards. There are eight categories, including Farm Shop or Deli of the Year, Best Street Food and Best Restaurant. To see the full list and to nominate your favourites, search Velvet Food and Drink Awards. Nominations close on Wednesday, May 31st. And join us live on June 30th for the Gala Awards Show, hosted by our own Steffi Callister. Across the city and South Cambridgeshire. On FM, digital and your mobile. Cambridge 105 Radio. I'm going to read you the menu. It's fantastic. So we get better flavour because of the fen soil. I've drunk more beer since I came here and bought my two barrels than I've ever done in my life before, I think. I shouldn't have said almonds. They don't make it from almonds. <laughs> so you've got this big sticky mess when you start off. Pizza pot pints! My wife's cakes are selling up hot cakes. Brilliant, thank you. The time is right for this sort of thing. Food is everything. Cambridge is right for this sort of thing. What's it like? <laughs> Good afternoon, it's lunchtime, and what better time to talk about food and drink with Flavour on Cambridge 105 Radio, hosted by Alan Alder and me, Matt Bentman, with lots of food news and stories. Yeah, Sue Bailey can't be with us today. She's speaking at the 37th Leeds Food History Symposium today. And before she went, she spoke to Nikki Segnet about her new book, The Flavour Thesaurus, More Flavours. It was published last week, and we have the interview on today's programme. We also feature Radmore Farm Shop, which has sadly closed down. Matt talked to owner Ben about what happened and what he'll be doing in future. The threat of closure is also very much hanging over daily bread in King's Hedges. We found out why, what they offer, and what can be done to save them. Also today, we bring you a taste of a tasting as we eavesdrop on part of the recent wild food and wine event with the foraging chef Steve Thompson at Amphora. And as usual, we have lots of up-to-the-minute food and drink news, details of what free food is available right now in Cambridge, and at the end of the programme, our jobs roundup. On Wednesday, social media seemed alive with the news that Cambridge's daily bread was on the brink of closure. It's a much-valued cooperative specialising in high-quality products. There's a lot of organic foods, even organic butter. Not cheap, but jolly good. Foods suitable for vegetarians, for vegans, gluten-free foods. It also has an extensive range of refill goods, including food and cleaning products. It has everything, including the sort of ethical values most places don't come anywhere near reaching. Daily Bread has been in Cambridge for 30 years, so the threat of closure is a shock. I went along to hear what the chances of rescue are from Adam Majic, who began by explaining how the situation has come about. Mainly it is the larger uh, ramifications of the current cost of living crisis, of the rising uh, energy prices, of the rising food uh, prices, um, us uh, being unable to price things uh, at a reasonable uh, cost to the customer, while at the same time trying to uh, trying to keep the business open. And let's be honest, also the pandemic burnout that uh, hit a lot of us. We've lost quite a lot of stuff and due to not uh, very high turnover, we weren't able to uh, replace them. So a lot of responsibilities fell on quite a few shoulders and I'm afraid it just slowly caught up to us finally to the point uh, where we 
see we might not have a way forward. Well, people will be very upset if you do close because, I mean, you're a very sort of ethical business. Would you like to say a little bit about your ethics? So, yes, we do get a lot of positive comments from uh, our customers. And even like in the recent past, talking to some of the more regular customers, kind of telling them indirectly in, in we might be in a very difficult situation. They were saying words like we will be devastated if uh, daily bread uh, would disappear. Um, we try to do things uh, as ethically as we can. Uh, we review our products uh, regularly uh, to look for any inconsistencies or any bad practices up the uh, deliver up the up the logistic chain. Um, we try to get things as locally as we can, if possible. So, for example, we have a great flour from uh, local farmers, like uh, like the Prior or uh, the, well, the, the Prior, the Foster's Mill at the, the Foster's yes, Mill, yeah, yeah, and the the Wiccan Windmill, for example. Uh -huh. um, we also do quite a wide range of different uh, refillable products, so uh, ranging from organic foods like organic oats or rice or beans. Um, to um, a, quite a broad range of home and body products. Uh, right, so showers. people just bring their own container and you exactly. fill them up. Exactly, and we yeah. also have a running um, running scheme of one of the local charities, Winter Comfort, where people can donate um, kind of like a paid-forward scheme uh, for a refillable items for the Winter Comfort charity, uh, which later uh, yeah, can also cut down on plastic and help a lot of uh, people in a difficult um, housing situation. Well, you'd obviously like more, more customers to come. What, what do you think would attract more customers? Are there any particular products that you're, you're pleased with? So, as I mentioned before, um, we're definitely very proud of uh, our refill station and, and flowers, but also definitely our muesli of many different types, ranging uh, from organic uh, to uh, nut-free, if people are of this uh, inclination to also just simple muesli bases if you would like to mix it with your other additions. We have a very broad range of dried fruits and nuts. Uh, we also have a small cafe that we've reopened recently and trying to develop, uh, thinking of opening, um, making more space outside also uh, for, for people to enjoy the sunny weather. And you have a, your premises are large as well, aren't they? So presumably you've got quite a big range of products. Uh, yes, definitely. So uh, we range from all sorts of dried goods, uh, so as mentioned, oats, rices, uh, all sorts of pulses, to uh, canned goods if you want, also ready meals if somebody is uh, in a rush of uh, good quality. Uh, so it's you can you know, um, it's it's not a junk food that you're going to be eating uh, if if you if you buy some of our canned foods. It's a good quality product that can replace a meal if you're in a rush. Uh, we also have a very uh, large range of uh, all sorts of vegan uh, milk replacements, uh, as I mentioned, dried fruits and nuts, home and body products, creams, face creams, um, the menstrual, uh, menstrual products that are also eco-friendly, so limiting the amount of plastic and uh, all sorts of reusable items. Um, so quite a wide variety uh, of, of foods. Also a great range of uh, local fermented products. Uh, one of our suppliers is uh, totally cultured, uh, great kimchi and other things. 
Yeah, there is there is a lot of things to choose from. Yeah, and bread from the Stir Bakery as yeah. well, which has just won an award for the best white loaf. Yeah. I don't know whether you saw that. Yeah, apologies to Stir if you are listening. <laughs> I, we didn't forget about you. It's just a lot of things to think about. Stir Bakery, Fizzy Bakery, deliver, delivering bread to us. We, we're trying to focus on as local as we can within our limited capabilities because that is also under the brand of sustainability, trying to be resilient. As a, as a small community. What are the opening hours? Opening hours on Mondays from 9am until 5pm, Tuesday till Saturday from 9 until uh, 6.20 in the afternoon. And now we are also opening on Sundays uh, from 9am until 5pm. Um, and that should start from the next week. Uh, we will be posting everything on our socials and on our website very soon. And you've got a big car park as well, have Yes, you? we have two car parks actually. One in front of our main entrance with a lot of space uh, also for disabled car parking and then uh, at the back much larger. Very easy access basically, right. even for people who drive by. Yeah, so there's no reason not to shop here, is there? Honestly, no. If you only can <laughs> afford it in these difficult times, which we fully appreciate, it's a very difficult time for all of us. Yeah. Uh, but if you think um, you could help contribute to us staying forward and surviving and thriving, uh, we will do our best to help you with all the range, of, uh, with the whole range of our products. Brilliant, Adam. Well, good luck. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you. One of the many community support projects that Daily Bread does is the cafe's suspended coffee scheme, where you can buy yourself a coffee in their cafe and also pay for someone in need who may come into the cafe later so they can have a cup as well. So, do you shop there, Alan? Well, I haven't been, but I went on Thursday, the day after the interview and bought lots of stuff actually. We get our fresh food mostly from the market, but tinned foods and cleaning products we get from a supermarket. And I realised we can get all of those items from Daily Bread, so that is where we will go in future. Because I think what Daily Bread needs isn't a huge number of people to suddenly turn up now and start buying buying everything. Mm. They need regular customer and I think that's the way I can be a regular customer. And I bought some strong bread flour from them just after the interview as well. Five kilograms for £7.70. A really good value and way, way cheaper than some other retailers. And for people who can't eat wheat flour, the range of other flours they have is extraordinary. Even coconut flour, which I've never even heard of before. (laughs) Uh, If you go onto their website, you can see their list of products. Okay. And Daily Bread is in Kilmain Close off King's Hedges Road and is now to be open, as Adam said, seven days a week. On to our first news section now for Saturday the 20th of May. The Cambridge Beer Festival is on this coming week. It starts on the 22nd and runs till the 27th and there'll be more than 180 real ales. I wonder if anybody will sample all of them. Mm-hmm. And more than 80 ciders and perries. The midday sessions from 12 till 3 are free from Tuesday till Friday. There's a small entry fee for the evenings and for all day on Saturday. However, if you're a member of the Campaign for Real Ale, all the sessions are free. As usual, it's on Jesus Screen and there's a wide selection of food available, including the Asahar food van. The Tickle Arms in Whittlesford is also having a beer festival. It's on the 26th to the 28th of May, with more than 25 real ales. And on Friday night, food will be supplied by the Republic of Goofy. 
On Saturday night, that brings Steak and Honor, and on Sunday, it will be Gorilla Kitchen. There will be music and various activities too. The annual beer festival at the Maypole in Cambridge's Portugal Place is also on next week from the 22nd till the 27th, and it is open all day from 11.30am to 11pm, and it features over 50 real ales and craft beers. Now over to Congratulations Corner. It's pretty crowded today and Cambridge's B. Wilson has won the Fortnum and Mason Award for the Best Food Writer for her work in The Guardian and the Financial Times Weekend magazine. Cambridge-born Felicity Cloak is the winner in the Best Food Book section with her latest called Red Sauce Brown Sauce. The Good Food Guide has judged Amelie in the Grafton Centre, Fitzbillies in Bridge Street and Trumpington Street, and Steak and Honour in Wheeler Street, and from a van near you, as local gems. Fansets and Finboys, both in Mill Road, have been awarded a good rating. Midsummer House on Midsummer Common, MJP at the Shepherds in Fenditton, and Vanderlyle in Mill Road have been given a very good. And, wait for it, one Cambridge restaurant has been judged to be exceptional, and that restaurant is... Restaurant 22 in Chesterton Street. So huge congratulations to all those fine places and to the other fine Cambridge eateries that didn't get recognised this time. And to think that not many years ago there was almost nowhere you could have a good meal in Cambridge. And last but not least in Congratulations Corner, Stir Bakery has just won the best White Farmhouse Loaf Award for a loaf that combines wheat and einkorn flour. Now, Velvet Magazine's first annual Food and Drink Awards are underway. Nominations are open, and you can vote for the best producer, the best farm shop or deli, the best pub or bar, best tea room or coffee shop, best street food or pop-up, best restaurant, best chef, and your food hero of the year. And you can do that via the Velvet website. The deadline is the 31st of May. You know, this thing about awards is interesting because it must be the first time ever that Midsummer House didn't get the top award and mm. another Cambridge restaurant did. So that's that's very interesting. It's going to cause quite a lot of activity, I, I feel. <laughs> well, they really, really have been hitting the highs lately, haven't they? Restaurant 22, getting all the plaudits. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's fantastic. And you spoke to them before they even got going, didn't they? That's right, just as they took over at Restaurant 22 in, oh blimey, was it three or four years ago now? I can't remember. They say it's a yeah. rocket to the top in that short time, isn't it? it? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Right, the Carolyn restaurant Rice Boat in Newnham Road is looking for premises with a kitchen, maybe a vacant restaurant unit or an operating pub. Let them know if you know of anywhere. You can email info at riceboat.co.uk or let Flavour know. You can contact us via social media where we are at Flavour 105. Okay. Now, a book that we have been looking forward to here on Flavour is Nikki Segnit's The Flavour Thesaurus, More Flavours. It's now published, and this week Sue spoke to Nikki about it and began by asking what led her to write it. Well, I'd like to say that it was a really seriously considered moment, but in fact, I'm just actually sitting in a pub with my husband and just taken a big sip of a pint of Guinness because we'd finished our tax returns and uh, he was at the bar ordering our food and I don't know why too but it just hit me that I wanted to write about all these different things all these different flavours that I hadn't ever 
you know, it never worked on I mean, I said over the years, there have been a number of people coming up to me at events uh, or getting in touch with me and saying, I wish you'd written about this flavor, I wish you'd written about lentils, I wish you'd written about courgettes. And so I suppose there was a kind of stockpile of things that there was a desire for. But I think, it, you know, more than anything, it just came from within. It has to be because you're going to be spending a long time researching a book like this. And I was suddenly gripped by um, just wanting to know more about all these different ingredients. So, in fact, how long did it take you to do the research? It took four years with this one. It took three with the original, although I think the original is working sort of 6 a.m. to 9 p.m., uh, whereas this book, there was uh, quite a few COVID, so I was teaching my kids to read and do fractions and things. So, you know, uh, four years interrupted. Your the, your original book had sort of sections with sort of meaty, cheesy, earthy, mustardy, and so on. Obviously, you don't have meat in this one because it's predominantly, or is it completely, um, vegetable and fruit based flavours. Yeah, I mean, it says plant led, which means that the, I mean, it did start off because only ingredient that I wanted to write about that wasn't a plant was duck. So I thought that would be a bit weird to have duck plus. <laughs> but okay, well, let's make this, you know, it's a good thing. I, I really like um, my my veggies and my fruits. I'll, I'll make it a vegan book, and I started on that, and that just didn't work. It didn't work for the kind of format of the book. It takes too much time to kind of explain the intricacies of some vegan substitutes and techniques. So I thought, well, um, let's see what happens if I just add few things back in. So I added cheese, which was in the last book, and eggs, which was in the last book. And then also I added honey, which was just one of the nicest chapters to that. And then also um, yogurt, which I absolutely love, so quite happy to write about that. And then things started to move again. I could kind of write it. You know, I wanted it to be similar to the first book in terms of its tone and, you know, and its various kind of um, entries. Uh, but yes, it kind of needed those things because I think the people that read my books are not necessarily going to be vegan or vegetarian. What unites my audience is that they love cooking and they kind of see it as something like a creative outlet, I guess. But also a lot of chefs have really welcomed and enjoyed your previous book and obviously certainly chefs I've talked to recently are really looking forward to, to seeing this one as well. Really nice to hear. I mean, I kind of didn't expect that when I wrote it, uh, but then I don't know what I expected when I wrote the original. And then, you know, and then it turns out that um, they gave a copy to Heston when it was just, you know, just coming out, and he liked it and gave it to his brigade. Uh, and that seems to have kind of been the case that it's popular chef. I just read some like really the big name in the state who says that he uses it on his menu. So. You know, it goes right to the top, but then, you know, there's a lot of us, obviously that's not going to create the number of people that, you know, I think the, the UK edition sold 300,000 copies. They're not chefs, you know, that's people in their home who probably aren't necessarily thinking about making this blended plate of food. They're thinking, what am I going to do with this half a packet of green beans? You know, maybe a little bit more kind of day-to-day. What would you say are the most unusual pairing because i gather you've been you use miso and you've discovered how interesting that is in a range of different ways well i mean i think i think probably anyone who's tried miso realizes it's quite interesting because it has such a lot of flavors so 
you know, I mean, there are, uh, the book includes classic matches, so the things that you're very, very, very likely to see even if you go to a Japanese restaurant in this country. Um, miso with aubergines, and miso with tofu, and miso with buckwheat, you know, buckwheat noodles and stuff. But, you know, there's also, I talk about miso and banana, because there's lots of very interesting things being done with miso, particularly sweet miso, miso and chocolate. Um, miso and fruit, I mean, it's very difficult to get a fresh miso fruit. But mm. if you can, it, it's actually becoming more common because it's in Spain. You get your hands on a yuzu and grapes and a bit of death onto a miso food. It's um, such a wonderful combination. What would you say was your most surprising discovery? Oh, God, I mean, I think, I think there's 800 entries, so there's lots. Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, in a way, that's kind of part of the, the, the book. So, I don't know, one that I've talked about quite a bit is coffee and yogurt. I think it's surprising to me because I kept putting off trying it because I thought I didn't really like the idea of that fermented flavor with uh, coffee. And it turned out that actually I did like it because you put coffee and yogurt together, it kind of tastes a bit like plum. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because the sourness has got that kind of plum skin flavor. But, um, and coffee, they both have fruity flavours about them. So yogurt, I mean Greek yogurt here we're talking about, has a strong green apple flavour, which you'll find in, in the plum flesh. And then coffee has something that's a bit more like a red fruit, a bit maybe a bit more like a black currant. It can be quite smoky. Um, so when you put them together, it just creates, it's one of those things where you put two things together and it tastes like something completely different. Mm. It's interesting because I was at a, a sort of wine and food tasting last night and people have a vocabulary for wine that they don't seem to have for the subtleties of of food flavours. Yet I think you've, you've really introduced people to thinking much more about that. Um, is that really sort of driving your, your new book, thinking, trying to encourage people to be more thoughtful, I suppose, about how they combine their flavours? ideas in your head at one time. So, you know, here it is, it's a, mainly it's a reference book that you can grab and have a look at when you're stuck for a bit of, you know, you, you, because you have some green beans and you always do the same three or four things with it. And then you look at this book, you turn to the back index and it's got a dozen different things that you hadn't thought of. So you can go off in the direction or something that, you know, you've not tried. So you think, oh, yeah, that's quite, you know, I haven't tried. I mean, a white bean for me was a revelation. I always thought they were incredibly boring, things like cannellini beans. Uh, and then through the research and like lots of trial and error with the book, finding lots of things that were way more interesting to do that I now have quite a few cans in my larder because I, you know, changed my relationship with that, um, you know, healthy, good for you, good for the planet kind of ingredient that you want to be using more of. So there's that. I think the book also helps train your palate. It gets you to pay attention to things. It gives you a vocabulary to describe things. It plays a bit of a game, you know, like, can you think of, you know, an interesting way to describe that? This is how I challenge myself to, you know, as a writer to use language to make it a kind of fun subject. I mean, it's just, um, you know, so many more people are writing about what they eat on Instagram, um, on social media, on Substack. And it, I suppose it's a way of helping people explore their vocabulary as well as their palate. 
And I think this is where it is so useful as, as you say, expanding the vocabulary of food. Exactly so. Um, when you were doing your research, how much sort of if you like academic or book-based or other recipe writer research did you do or and, and balanced out with the experimental side of things? Yeah, I, I, mean, I write in cycles of research, tasting, writing, um, and I go around the, you know, around the ingredients several times. Particularly, you know, if I'm writing about things like gooseberries or I'm writing about, um, you know, fresh board beans and they're only in season for so long, so you've got to you know, I get a few weeks to write about gooseberries and then I have to stop until next year. I I think it's mainly research and obviously in order for the book to be interesting and to explore the subject of flavour, I have to go to some fairly unusual places. That's I'm looking in agricultural texts or horticultural texts. I'm looking in flavour science books. Uh, I might be looking in um, culinary history books. I might be reading academic papers. So it's going to be taking, mainly taking me to the dustier corners, mm-hmm. food, food um, you know, writing about food, where, uh, you know, things like or recipe books, um, they furnish some stuff. Obviously, they might furnish a lot more in terms of, like, what you might do with something. Like, if I want to, say, open music here and use that there, they don't tend to get into... You know, sensory description so much. I think most people, I don't know why they don't, but they don't. What would you say is your favourite pairing? Um, what did I like? I really, um, I love miso and egg, which I just made a reel. Oh, I think I made my first reel on Instagram because it's just, I made these for people the other day and I was just so, you know, I forget how much I like this bit of praise and I <laughs> Uh, it's just, uh, you get a mixture of miso, mirin, a little bit of sugar, put that in a, um, a bag or a pot and kind of mix it all together and then put some soft or actually however you like them, but some boiled eggs. I use quail's eggs for my friends because I was entertaining too. And, um, you can use hen's eggs as well. Uh, and you, you know, you put it up, they've got to be cold by the way, put them in the miso, you put them in the fridge. And then just kind of like pick them out every now and again and give them a little squeeze of pulp with your fingers. And then for quail's eggs in about a day, hen's eggs in about two days, you have eggs that are pickled in miso. And they taste like eggs that are pickled in onion gravy. They're absolutely fantastic. And my friends have raised about them. Wow, that sounds really yummy. I think I'm going to get some miso very, very shortly. <laughs> I'm going to try I mean, this. And it's really... It's Super simple, really effective, and really nice ingredients. Is there anything else that you'd like to say about um, your book? Yes, so it came out on Thursday. I think probably the most, I think I need to hear about, which perhaps I'm not always that great at, is it is a completely new book. It's not got any of the pairings from the flavour thesaurus. The flavour thesaurus, more flavours, is entirely new. Uh, it does have some of the flavours from the old book because, you know, you need some of those things like eggs, potatoes, chocolate, you know, they're the kind of thing I suppose that are, to me, culinary staples. But other than that, it's, you know, everything, all the pairings are new and fresh and, yeah, I, I'm hoping it's just as exciting and fun to read as the first one. Well, I'm very much looking forward to going and buying my copy of it. It'd be excellent. Looking forward to it a lot. Oh, thank you so much, Nikki. That's excellent. 
And Nikki Segnit's new book, The Flavour Thesaurus, More Flavours, is available in Cambridge's bookshops now. And it is every bit as fascinating and useful as the first one. With elderflowers coming into bloom right now, I checked out some of her ideas for elderflower. How about elderflower and cheese? Elderflower and apple? Elderflower and elderberry? Elderflower and corn, for which you use dried elderflowers and if you're looking for ideas say for lentils there's lentils with plums with mustard with mint with pomegranate potato with sorrel it's just an amazing and useful book and really entertainingly written as well Now details of free food available in and around Cambridge. The information about what's available and where to get it comes from the Olio app, and that's there so that people's or businesses' surplus food doesn't go to waste. That's right. And today's look at Olio for Cambridge shows us that Russell, who lives on Coleridge Road, has a collection of pastries to give away, including chocolate twists, iced donuts, pretzels and cinnamon swirls, as well as various breads like a gluten-free seeded farmhouse loaf, tiger baguettes and batons, pitters and wholemeal baps. Leanne, who lives off Brooklands Avenue, has a pack of fruity tea cakes available, along with four Sheldon's muffins and three Hovis loaves. Ahmed on Pern Road has a rockstar strawberry lime energy drink for anybody who needs a pick-me-up today. And finally, Roe, also on Pern Road, has some freshly cut spring onions and rhubarb. Lots of breads and pastries today, more than I've mentioned here, actually, for time reasons. But still, that is just a few of the free items that are available for collection via the Olio app today. That's very good. And don't forget the other free app, Too Good To Go. That sells food, or that is unsold food from restaurants and shops, and it's sold at often less than half price. And the restaurants or shops don't specify each leftover uh, item. The surplus food is simply packaged as a magic bag that's ready for you to take home, and that prevents it just being tipped into the bin at the end of the day. Cambridge 105 Radio. In 1960s Cambridge, the Rolling Stones performed at the Rex Ballroom, Chris Farlow was on stage at the Alley Club, and Helen Shapiro played live at the Regal Cinema. On Sunday mornings, John Gannon takes you back to the swinging 60s with music and memories. John Gannon's 60s scene, Sunday mornings at 8 on Cambridge 105 Radio. Listen live on Radio Player. Impulse Fest is back for its second year on Saturday, 8th of July at Lark Hall Farm near Cambridge. Fats and Small will be headlining the day and flying in from the beautiful island of Ibiza. One of Cafe Mambo's resident DJs, Dr. Feelgood. All this along with the Impulse Radio DJs who will be playing all the big dance tunes throughout the day. Tickets are on sale now at impulsefest.co.uk. Impulse Fest, where the beat goes live. Here at Cambridge 105 Radio, we're super excited to be the media partners for this year's Velvet Food and Drink Awards. There are eight categories, including Farm Shop or Deli of the Year, Best Street Food and Best Restaurant. To see the full list and to nominate your favourites, search Velvet Food and Drink Awards. Nominations close on Wednesday, May 31st. And join us live on June 30th for the Gala Awards Show, hosted by our own Steffi Callister. Cambridge 105 Radio 
Welcome back to Flavor with some more news, starting with birthdays. Yes, happy birthday to Meadows of Eltersley Avenue. They're four years old, having started as a pop-up in the old Newnham Bakery. There's now branches in Eltersley Avenue and Mill Road. And also celebrating a birthday is Foodstuff. They deliver from local independence by bicycle. Foodstuff is three years old, and in that time it has grown to have 11 full-time employees. So, congratulations to both Meadows and Foodstuff, and long may you thrive. And on to wine news now, beginning with tastings at the wine rooms in Hills Road. On the 25th of May, Bordeaux, Left Bank. 1st of June, Alsace. The 15th of June, North Central Spain. The tastings run from 7pm until 8.15 and cost £15. On Bank Holiday Monday, 29th of May, Gutter and Stars in French's Road is having an open day from 11 till 5pm. There will be wine by the glass and a new wine will be previewed. Market House on the 13th of June, there's a summer wine tasting with Bill Brogan. It begins at 6 o'clock and the cost is £38 a head. Meadows in Mill Road has a Meet the Winemaker event on the 22nd of May. It's a tasting and talk with Florian Bruno from Domaine La Lodzitala in Languedoc. Details on Meadows social media. Another opportunity to meet a winemaker is on the 24th of May at Cambridge Wine Merchants in King's Parade. The winemaker is Joe Tensley, who's renowned for his expertise with the Syrah grape. Tickets are £20 and cheese and meats will be available. But there are only 16 tickets available for this event. So if you want to nab one, email kings at cambridgewine.com and include your contact number. Or you can phone Cambridge 309-309. At Amphora in Devonshire Road, there is a tasting of Greek wines on the 24th of May for £35. Here's a snippet from one of Amphora's meal nights with matching wines. The meal was provided by the foraging chef Steve Thompson. First of all, it is not 1979. When this first arrived, I got very excited because I saw 1979. It is, in fact, 2010, so not quite as old. But what is um, thank you, brilliant about this wine? Well, it's a traditional blend of uh, Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, but it spent 10 years on the lees. So I had to read that twice, 120 months on the lees. Um, and they only made... 450 garafas, however big a garafa is. So 70% Chardonnay, 30% Chardonnay-Noir. Douglas and I, when we were in Georgia, actually met the Prima, who is a Prima ballerina and the wife of Mr. Aspinelli himself, Gotcha. The ballerina, in fact, had red hair just like this bottle wax. <laughs> this wine is really interesting and delicious. It's a blend of Cazzatelli, which is an in- indigenous Georgian grape, and Chardonnay. And this combination just works so beautifully. And Although we don't know the tech sheet, I'm, a, uh, I'm actually obsessed with tech sheets, but in this case, 
they wouldn't give me the tech sheet, but I believe that some of the Catatelli has actually been made in an oxidized style, hence you get the richness, because I've had Catatelli that's very, very clean without these oxidized notes. But it does work really beautifully. Now that I've talked about the wine, I'm going to hand you over to Chef, who's going to talk about the food. I realize it should have been the other way around, but I had to get your attention. <laughs> chef Steve, who is the foraging chef, we've been foraging with him, and what I, one of the things that I, is most memorable that I learned is that you must never buy packet spinach because you should be able to pick up a salad from your wandering around Cambridge. Thank you all for coming, first of all. Of course, we've got uh, smoked cauliflower, we've got some George's mushrooms, which I uh, picked just on the edge of Cambridge. We've got duck hearts that have been cured in pine and dried out. And really nice, rich little start to the dish. And um, the other thing I wanted to say is that you'll see that you have two wine pairings with each course. Now, this started off because I hadn't heard of all the ingredients on Jeff's um, <laughs> menus, and it was a bit of a hedge as to whether the wines would work. Since then, I've acquired descriptions of the dishes in advance, which allow me to pair more easily. But I think wine pairing is partly an art and partly very, very personal. And we kept this tradition because uh, we, we tended to have a vote after each course to see which was uh, everyone's favorite pairing. And it was pretty much evenly split in every case. So I anticipate that that will be the case again today if I've done my job properly, that, um, that you're either, well, hopefully you'll like both pairings, but uh, you may feel free to tell me if you hate both pairings too. Uh, I will gladly take the feedback on board. So we will start handing out the plates and I will put on some smooth jazz. Okay, and we will have more news later. But first, we're going to talk about the Radmore Farm Shop. It's been a mainstay in the Chesterton area for the last 17 years, and proprietor Ben Aveling has been on the programme several times as he revamped and introduced new facets to his business. But last week, they closed their doors. As one customer posted on their Facebook page, times are tough for bricks and mortar. I spoke with Ben about it last night, and he had this to say. I say since the COVID restrictions went, it's been tough. I think I mentioned that. Things have changed quite dramatically since then. Not only have footfall changed in some respects and people's shopping habits have changed incredibly in the last few years. Also, costs of everything has gone up in an extreme way. And I don't necessarily think that's just affected us as a business. I think it's affected the potential customer base. So I think people are looking to do shopping differently. And I wonder if just our bricks and mortar shop was sort of not part of that. We've had ups and downs over many years. You know, we started in a recession. But there comes a time where you've got to look at what's happening and the trade has dropped. You know, it's not like it's just the costs. It's the fact that we don't have as many people coming through the door and you have to react. The deliveries are strong. I think deliveries have become a big part of people shopping. Things are just generally quieter. I think people work from home. I think if you look at our historical taking, Saturday was two, three times as busy as a weekday. And it was actually becoming a normal day. Everything had changed so much. And we live so far away. Vicky and I on the farm mm. and we have our family here and the children and and we're getting to the stage where, you know, it was losing making us lose money and we thought to ourselves, you know, this this isn't the way to go out. We don't want to fizzle out like a pathetic, <laughs> decrepit kind of business. We wanted to go, Do you know what, this isn't this isn't working. Everyone's been great. We've loved our time. But we feel that the bricks and mortar is, is not 
necessarily going to be a part of the future. But, you know, we lease the shop. We've got great landlords. They're going to hopefully be able to lease it to another business that will inject something into the area, all being well. And we're going to continue our deliveries, which is something that's quite low overhead for us and we can sustain it and as of now it's still you know a good part of our business so it's by no means the end of us being in cambridge it's just being able to pop into a shop at the moment's not going to be beyond the cards yes yeah so like you say it's um not just because of the rising cost but also because of the change in consumer behavior yeah i think that the ukraine war brexit if you want to argue there's a lot of things that have happened in the last few years. Mm. COVID, and I reckon it's become a perfect storm, not only to change the face of commerce, but also to tighten people's pockets. Historically, people have always spent a lot of their income on food, but latter historically, that's not been the case. And we've always had a really decent core group of customers who still support us and then we're going to be delivering to them too but the shop always has rises and falls with the terms mm. we would often lose customers every year because they go back to wherever they came you know from when they studied or they move out of cambridge that happens quite a lot but usually you get an influx of new mm. and this last year the influx of new they're not shopping in the same way we haven't noticed that sort of surge we usually get it in about October, and that never came. And obviously, COVID disrupted all of that. So we're talking the last surge, quote-unquote, was 2018-19 sort of time. You get new people, new to the area, love what you do. So you sort of have 50% of the people that come in your door are your core regulars, if not more. And then you get the other half that fluctuate, come and go. Sometimes they're there, sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're new. Sometimes, do you know what I mean? And mm, that's usually mm. how it's been. It's fine if it all works perfectly. And uh, I'd say that the last year, the rest of the farm has just been propping the business up to weather the storm. And I don't think it's going to be over anytime soon. Yeah. So for us, really, it's a bit more damage control, really. We've always worked on fine margins. We've tried to be reasonably priced. The shop's never been a roaring success. It's been part of our lives and we've done it. And uh, But once it starts going the other way, you sort of really to have to change things even though it goes against your heart it's your brain has to take over sometimes yeah and it is necessary but this is more adaptation rather than say admitting defeat this is there's other aspects to your business isn't there like you say there's the deliveries oh, yeah. and there's the the butchery absolutely so people can still get all of our best stuff mm. just once a week <laughs> yeah and yeah. you know I'm, I'm spending my time on the farm developing things making things better in all fairness it might be a blessing in disguise but it might end up being something that's actually better for the customer than ever. You know, they get to have the contact with us. I mean, that's always been something that we've loved. Vicky yeah. and I always did the shop ourselves for the first sort of five years, if you like. It was always me or her or both. And once you start getting staff and things in and we're not there as much stuff, you know, we lose contact. So we don't know the people as well as we used to. And whereas this way, you know, I get to see the customer every time and, contribute to their day with my usual spiel of nonsense which is what i like to, <laughs> to to distribute so actually if you look at it from that perspective it's probably for the best everybody's been so supportive i've had just loads of people messaging me and, I, and and all of them know us by name you know it's not like oh sorry to hear Brad, or it's sorry to hear ben and vicky you know mm. oh and yes yeah that's really cool if anything I'm, I'm using my time on building the farm up more 
you're still here. Everything is still, you know. <laughs> it's yeah, it doesn't change overnight on a farm. Brilliantly positive attitude there, Ben. And um, and like you say, this is not the last we're ever going to hear of you. The only thing that's closing is the shop, but everything else is still going to carry on. That's right. Most people who want to use our business have been able to use us deliveries anyway. Most people have been like, yeah, actually, it works out even easier for me as it happens. I didn't know you delivered, etc., etc. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things that you take the plunge by the bullet, you realise that clearer focus can be a positive thing. Very true, yeah. Well, thanks very much for taking the time out to chat to us, Ben. Oh, thank you. Thank Great you to hear much. you again, and we shall be hearing from you again soon, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Cheers. Yeah, that was Ben Aveling of Radmore Farm. I have never seen him down, you know, he's always chirpy. He and his wife, Vicky, have made the decision that will keep them, their farm, their butchery, and their delivery business operating. And like he says, this could be a bit of a blessing. So do check out their Facebook page. It's Radmore Farm Shop. Or check out their Instagram feed too. This is all one word, Radmore Farm Shop. Because you'll still be able to get all of your meats, all your veg, everything else from them, and have it delivered. Because like Ben says, that is the way the wind is blowing these days. Yes, well, this is a shame. Mm. Uh, but on the subject of closures, Stem and Glory, which is thriving in Station Road, Cambridge, has apparently, we hear, closed its two London branches. Oh, right. But, uh, which is a shame. But it is still there in Station Road. Yes. Yeah. OK, on to our final news roundup now. And Pinkster Gin has a new product. Sue caught up with maker Stephen Marsh at the Coronation Celebrations on Parker's Peace. I'm speaking to Stephen Marsh of Pinkster's Gin and we are on Parker's Peace and it's just been an amazing day. So tell me how it's gone. We, we've had a fantastic day here. Very joyous atmosphere. Lots of uh, Pinkster and Pinkster Light English spritz being poured. So I'm very happy. Tell me a bit more about your new spritz. We're just launching, um, it's our 10th birthday, and as a celebration of our 10th birthday, we're launching a light English spritz. It's a byproduct of making Pinkster. It's absolutely delicious. It's uh, a ready-to-drink in a, in, a, in a Bourgogne bottle, 75 centilitres, um, with, a, with a lime soda. It's absolutely delicious. 4% in your glass, fewer than 50 calories per glass. Perfect for summer drinking. I like that in terms of the low-calorie option. Tell me again what was in it. It's a byproduct of making Pinkster, so it's intensely raspberry. It's the liquid that's left over when we make our jam. It's a combination of gin and raspberry juice. And we then do a third maceration with Madagascan vanilla and Egyptian hibiscus to make it a long drink. And all we've done is develop a, a lime soda to mix with it. And we're selling it as a, a ready-to-drink in a 75-centilitre bottle. So, so summer-like cocktails, basically. An alternative to something heavier. Yes, and all you have to do is chill and pour. Oh, yes, we like that idea. Yeah. Chill and pour. I hope the rest of the day goes well, too. Thank you very much, Sue. Very nice to see you. And if you fancy a bit of volunteering, Sweet Pea Market Garden is open to volunteers every Thursday morning from 9 till 1pm and jobs include weeding, planting and seed sowing. There will be a shared lunch and free seedlings and vegetables to take home. The farm is in Caxton and if you're interested, contact Adrienne via social media. On the 31st of May at Signorelli's in Burley Street, there is a My 
Persian Kitchen pop-up, and that's arranged by Pina of One Two Culinary Stew. The start time is six thirty for all diners. The cost is thirty six pound fifty plus Eventbrite's booking fee of two pound twelve pence. Drinks can be purchased on the night, and places are likely to go quickly. So do book now if you're interested. Cambridge Sustainable Food is running a pay-as-you-feel cafe at St Philip's Church in Mill Road from twelve thirty to two p.m. on the seventh and twenty-first of June. Surplus food that would otherwise go to waste will be used and the money taken will be for community food projects. At Market House in Cambridge's Market Square on the 9th of June, there's an artisan British and Irish cheese tasting. That's from 6pm, is £35. And Market House also has a new spring menu just starting, available Tuesday to Saturday's lunchtime and evening. The next bistro night at Finboys in Mill Road is on the 19th of June and you can book now. Bookings are also open now for the next Italian supper club at Pudini in Willingham. The date is the 28th of July and the cost is £45. Now there's a discussion online about food security. It's on the 25th of May from 6 until 7pm and the discussion centres on whether eating local is the answer to food security and climate change. Can we be self-sufficient and stop relying on imported food? You can book your ticket for this talk via the Eventbrite website. And finally for today, a new cafe is opening on Monday in Newnham Road called Bean Theory. It's going to be between Millworks and the Thai restaurant Salathong, on the site once occupied by the Indian House restaurant, which has now been rebuilt after their fire. It's also next door but one to Carolyn restaurant Rice Boat, from which I had a very good takeaway this week. And there's the music signalling time for news from social media. Yes, this morning social media brings news from the plough in Shepreth. This is attempting to reopen. They're working behind the scenes on getting everything ready and could do with some help. So if you're up for painting, DIY, gardening, do get in touch with them. The Hawkston Farmer's Market is tomorrow from 10 till 2. There's going to be lots of salad items and tomato and herb plants from Sweet Pea Market Garden, amongst other stalls. Also tomorrow, one of the biggest markets is South Cambridgeshire, with more than 40 local small businesses there. Uh, it's at the Old Barracks in Waterbeach. Uh, there's free parking, it's dog-friendly and it's easily accessible. It's a not-for-profit community market and this year's charity is the National Association for the Children of Alcoholics. So that's on tomorrow, Sunday from 10 till 3, and it's there on the third Sunday in every month except August. Now on Sunday night, Steve Thompson, the flavour regular, cooked a meal at Amphora and Chong Chong Bo matched it with selected wines. It sounded like an interesting night and Sue Bailey was there to talk to them both about how it went and also about the Coravin device. We've just had the most amazing evening to do with Coravin wine tasting. Just two minutes to tell me a little bit more about what happened tonight. Greg, who is the Tony Stark of the wine world, who, who invented the Coravan device, a device that allows you to extract a single glass of wine from a bottle without actually opening it. He came to Cambridge and talked to an audience about his life, his inventions, his experiences, and the launch of his new product. So we um, met Greg, he entertained us, then we had 
invite him over for dinner at Amphora, for which Steve cooked. Steve? Yeah, so we put together a foraging dinner as a foraging chef, matched by uh, Chong's wine, and yeah, just had some fun for the evening. What were the dishes you did? Because I know you have the most amazing ability to pair food with wines. Yeah, so we had some dishes where we had haddock cured in birch bark with cow parsley, wild garlic and longestine. We had some other dishes with dark chocolate, seaweed, cucumber and fennel, uh, wild fennel, and we had oysters with beech leaf, cabbage and lovage, amongst a few others. Wow. And everyone voted as to which dishes they really liked with the wine pairing. That was a bit divisive, wasn't it? That is the beauty of wine pairing. There's a an art to it, but also I think it's highly personal. So every single one of these events I've done, I found that whenever I've done two wines with each course, the room is fairly evenly split between the two wines. And people like them for different reasons. Um, in terms of the standout wines for this evening, for the pairings, hmm, what were your favourites? <laughs> so I was opposite to some people. and I'm, I mean, for me, the Del Mary with the haddock was one of my favourites, but that was voted down on there on the pairing for that one. Yeah, that was an interesting one. So the Guerreri del Mare um, is a grape that, well, that hardly anyone's heard of. It's called Biancello, also known as Biancame, from a massively underrated region called the Marche in Italy. Think of Italy as a boot and the Marche is the upper calf. And this is, I mean, it's called Del Mare, Guerrieri Del Mare, so warrior of the sea and a wine that they developed for, to go with seafood. And it's this beautiful aromatic grape. And somehow this works with the strong flavors that you had of the, that slightly fermented haddock, this saltiness that came through, which was really offset by the aromatic fruitiness of, of this this wine, uh, I thought it was rather beautiful. But it also worked with this Assetico, which is a, a wild f- ferment wine from, from Santorini in Greece, which is a, a, an island that's a collapsed volcano. So you've got volcanic soils, vines on their own rootstocks. And um, this wine is actually slightly salty. And I think it's because of the, the sea breezes that, that sweep through this vineyard of basket vines. So it's so windy that you have to weave the vines into baskets for the for the grapes to actually have a chance of thriving. It's an amazing ability to sort of taste wise and also the Coravin tasting beforehand was really interesting because the ability to actually capture a wine in its opening and then to actually be able to come back to that wine and then taste it again and actually not feel there was any difference was to me a really fascinating thing and yes, to have the challenge of wine food what better do we want yeah and we said earlier at the beginning of the program that sue bailey was in leeds today talking at a food history symposium in fact she's talking about the history of feasting on parker's peace the event on parker's peace that's to celebrate the coronation a couple of weeks ago and which was attended by almost 1500 people it was inspired by an event to commemorate queen victoria's coronation on that same spot nearly 200 years ago, when about 15,000 people celebrated at a free lunch event there. 
Uh, you may have seen uh, the poster showing that uh, Queen Victoria coronation celebration. In honour of the 1838 feast, local chef Tristan Welch and a team from the University Arms Hotel served an updated Duke of Cambridge tart. And other local businesses helped to sponsor the event as well, with local restaurants, cafes and food producers providing the feast. Damson and Kale, Rennet and Rind, the Cambridge Juice Company, Gorilla Kitchen, Pimp My Fish, Jack's Gelato, Fitzbillies, Karen Jane Cakes, Pinkster and Saffron Grange Wines. And there's Green Onions signalling the start of our job section. The Orchard Tea Garden in Granchester is looking for a front-of-house assistant and a kitchen porter. Both positions are full-time, and for information and applications, just email inquiries at theorchardteagarden.co.uk. Hot Numbers has several vacancies in the kitchen, in the bakery and in the coffee shops. And Stir needs baristas. Send your CV to retail at stirbakery.co.uk. Aromi has vacancies for full and part-time pizza chefs, shift leaders, baristas and team members. Just email your CV to jobs at aromi.co.uk where you can also get more information. A quick roundup of other vacancies. You can apply via the company's website or pop along at a quiet time for a chat. Sous chefs are needed at Cam's Cuisine, Maudlin College and Checkers in Falmere. A senior sous chef at Scott's All Day. Junior sous chefs needed at Market House and Pembroke College. There are vacancies for chefs to party at the Gonville Hotel, Midsummer House, Parker's Tavern, Clare College and Maudlin College. Breakfast chefs are needed at the Gonville Hotel and Parker's Tavern. A senior chef is needed at Hot Numbers in Shepreth and a head chef at Trinity College. And to complete this section, Cam's Cuisine is looking for a commie chef, as is Restaurant 22. All of which brings us to the end of today's programme. You can catch us on Alternate Saturdays at 12 noon, repeated Mondays at 6pm and Thursdays at 2. And Flavour will be available as a podcast next week. Coming up shortly, 1 o'clock, The Gadget Guide, 2 o'clock, Sue Merchant Selection. But that's all from us back on the 3rd of June. Until then, from me and Matt, goodbye. goodbye.